And welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jonathan Wall joined as always by my guys, Mr. Coachella, Gene Prenny, and the serial killer, Chris McCormick. Normally I'd start this off by asking how everybody is, but I don't really care how Chris is doing or Coach is doing. All I really care about is how Mr. Coachella is doing. Gene, I, I need the full scoop here. How was the weekend with your daughter? So first off, let me just say that the mean age at Coachella is about 24. And so eh, I realistically could have been most of these people's parents. And uh, it was, well, here's the good news. Or maybe the bad news for those that don't care for me on the this The good podcast, news is you're here. You the, survived. That's I am the good not news. in a shallow grave somewhere outside of India. So that is a victory in and of itself. Um, I've been to Jazz Fest. I've been to Kaboo. I've been to Lollapalooza. I've done some decent music festivals in my day. I've never done this much music. 13 hours the first day, 10 hours the second day, and eight hours the third day. And I've got to tell you what I learned out of it all. Sitting is a really underrated luxury because when you don't get to do it for a long time you really start longing for it and when you're standing there at 9 p.m dancing to some house band and you realize that you haven't sat in five hours and your legs start getting all wobbly it gets a little dicey so my brother who went with his daughter my niece and he's a few years younger than me he was a music promoter and a dj in town he's been to 10 coachella's he and I found ourselves on the same park bench between 12 and midnight every night trying to rub the knots out of our backs because we were in so much pain. Seriously, there were a lot of drugs at Coachella, but I could have made a fortune if I would have sold prescription strength ibuprofen because that was the <laughs> pill to take. Let me tell you, even the youngins were complaining about their backs, their knees, and their ankles. Wow. So I Even the young just, ones. I could have been, been doling that out for $25 a pill. And they I, people would have been like, hey, where's the hookup? Where's the hookup? I got your hookup. I'll take all your pain away right oh, see, Dad, Look for, look for the guy in the it. overalls the and the cowboy <laughs> hat. <laughs> so, so that was an issue in and of itself. So I went with my 18-year-old daughter. It's one of her graduation gifts. And... Um, she told me a week before, she goes, Dad, what are you going to wear? I'm like, what do you mean am I going to wear? And she goes, what are you going to wear to Coachella? And I go, I don't know, shorts and a T-shirt? And she goes, no, you, you can't wear that, Dad. And I go, all right, do me a favor. Google what middle-aged bald men wear to Coachella. She didn't find that very funny. So she came back with like all of these outfits of flat belly 20 year olds wearing thousand dollar silk shirts. And I, I got frustrated with her and I go, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to wear a pair of corduroy overalls, cowboy boots and a straw hat. And there was like a pause for five seconds. And she goes, that'll work. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, don't you kids understand irony? There's no irony left in this world. So see anything up- that you that you deem to be ironic, Gene, then you know it's it's something that's that's gonna be in vogue for Coachella. Oh so so true. So I ended up going with the 
sandals resort waiters serving you a margarita vibe kind of like linen but i did put a trucker cap on just to kind of give myself a little bit of an edge but like i said you you know when i wandered around the place i didn't even look like an undercover cop i just looked like a cop you know that was out of uniform so but it was it was epic i mean the the coolest thing more than anything else was the smaller stages earlier in the day i stumbled across an act they're called muti please forgive all the german speaking or german listeners out there it's m-e-u-t-e it was a german marching band playing house music and they brought it down the tubas the oboes the big drums and they were playing house music and the whole place went nuts. And it, you know, mind blown grand, as I'm hearing grand, you say this mind blown, just, just running into things like that, that made it all worthwhile. But I got to tell you this too. Uh, it was really, really cool to see a hundred thousand people having a good time. We've just, we've gotten so far away from large groups and, and you just realize how music, I mean, you know, I don't care what genre of music you're into, when you get a lot of people together listening to music and they're all vibing on the same thing, it's, man, it's, it's, uh, it's really special. So I, I'm glad I did it, but uh, we rolled in at 1.30 Monday morning. And I heard on the 10, you had to be on the road by seven to beat the traffic. So we left at six fifteen. I got to San Diego and I had to jump on a conference call and I could not remember the word monetize. And I was sitting there on this call and I was like, so how are we going to, how are we, how are we going to make money on this thing? And it just sounded like a complete moron. And, you know, I couldn't cop to the fact. I, I might have got some street cred from copying to the fact. I was going to say, I you should just tell them. Just admit it. <laughs> they would, they, they would have definitely given you some street cred. Well, you, uh, are, you are alive and well, which is, which is good. Because this podcast only operates when it's three of us. But, of course, beyond Coachella, there is some gear going on. Um. I was debating whether I wanted to share this story or not. So do it. Uh, yeah. Do not? it. So on Tuesday, we went and hung out with Scotty Scheffler. There's some content coming with Scotty for golf.com and maybe golf magazine. Maybe we'll find out. Anyway, so we're there. I'm getting some content with them. We had some other stuff going on. And I get asked to do this series. If you ever go to golf.com and type in pros, teaching Joe's. It's where we usually get a pro helping one of us schlubs try and figure out a part of our game. Well, they asked me, they said, Hey, we want you to, we want you to do pros teaching Joe's with Scotty. All right, cool. Well, what are we going to do? And I was going through my head. I'm like, Oh God, I haven't hit golf ball in months, weeks. I can't even, I can't even remember. I'm the last time I was probably with my kids. At least got to be about a month ago. So uh, I take my clubs and I get there and I'm just like, well, I wonder what we're going to be doing. And they said, we're just going to just do a chipping lesson. Chipping. My short game is probably one of the best parts of my game. Even even as my, my handicap has gone from a plus to a plus handicap to a seven, uh, short game is usually pretty reliable. All right. Well, what do you think happened? 
All of a sudden, here comes Scotty. And we've been spending the whole day with him. He's the nicest, most down-to-earth guy I have ever met in terms of an athlete. I, you know, it doesn't even feel like that you're hanging out with a guy that's the hottest golfer on the planet. Number one, just won the Masters. He's so relaxed and down-to-earth. It doesn't matter. I spent the whole day with him. And so I get up there, cameras are on, Scotty's right next to me. He's trying to teach me how to just do a simple chip. And what do you think happened? Simple chip. Skull skull city. I just, I didn't even skull it, Gene. I just start trying to pick the ball up, pick it clean. I will not even allow the sole of this wedge to engage the turf. It was, (laughs) it was embarrassing. And I didn't hit any terrible chips. I did hit a couple that were, I would consider to be on the heavier side, but it scarred me for life. I had, I had the master's champ right there and I couldn't even perform a simple chip. And it got to the point where he's like, just, you know, turn your chest a little bit. And he's trying to get me to go one handed. And I just felt like about a 30 handicap. I couldn't do the simple chip and I left and I just thought, holy shit, I I'm done. This is it. People are going to watch this video and they're going to think this guy is a fraud. There's no way that he should be an equipment editor. He doesn't even know how to use his own gear. It was, it was comical. They, they will say that those that can't do teach. So, I mean, you may have a, a leg to stand on with, you know, I can't do the shot personally, but I can tell people how to do it and recommend gear that enables you to do it a little better. And, Performance anxiety is a is a common trend among you know, <laughs> middle aged men. Jay Wallace, here we go. I'm getting, cl- I'm getting closer to middle age now. You're right, yeah, Chris. Yeah, I mean it's it's nothing to be Should've, ashamed about. I'm sure Gene is seen familiar. <laughs> Actually, I have a very familiar story. Uh, I was up at the Grand Del Mar doing a shaft test with Mitsubishi. And I showed up about half an hour early, and there was nobody on the range. And that's the range where we film all of our videos. And uh, I'm staring at all these beautiful pyramids of balls. And I'm like, I'm going to go hit some balls. So I grabbed a wedge, went out, striping wedges at 90 yards, dropping them within five feet. And I, and I must have hit 10 in a row. And I'm, you know, I'm having one of those, I'm a tour player moments, right? And so I'm the only one on the range. I'm in my zone. I'm hitting just wedge after wedge after wedge. And suddenly I look up. And I didn't even notice they'd walked up. And there's two guys staring at me from five feet away. Um, This is just this last year. And I look, and it's Brooks Kapka and his caddy. (laughs) They're just (laughs) staring at me. And Kapka's giving me this look like it's his range and I'm on it type thing. And I'm so spooked and thrown because I wasn't expecting this. I just go, hi. (laughs) Hi. Kapka doesn't say a word. His caddy and his Irish lilt says, it's a beautiful day to be hitting golf balls. And I, God, I sounded like some Czech caddy there. Sorry. My <laughs> accents are all off. But um, We're going to be getting email uh, for that. <laughs> so I look at him and I'm like, okay. I go back. I pull the handle. Three straight off the hosel. I mean, didn't even make the club face. The ball went like at a 90 degree angle. And I was like, oh. God, this is why I'm not a tour player. So yeah, I, I I know the feeling about performance anxiety. I've been there. It was it was brutal. Although I wasn't the only one. We were out on the golf course doing a photo shoot, and it was on one of the tee boxes. 
and I watched probably five or six groups roll up to the tee box. And most of these guys, I mean, because Royal Oaks, where we were at, was a private club. A lot of the guys there, I mean, if they've been members for years, they they know Scotty. Scotty grew up at that golf course. So they've probably known him since he was a junior golfer. But they all look back. Scotty's not even, he doesn't even care that they're teeing off. He's, I mean, he's in the middle of a shoot. But they keep looking back. And I kept, all of a sudden, I like locked in every time that a guy would hit. I wanted to see if they were going to stripe it down the middle or just hit this real spinny slice. And probably five or six of those guys hit some truly awful tee shots. And I guarantee you it's because Scotty was right there. He wasn't even looking. It's just, it's funny as, I mean, as Chris said, it like the performance anxiety is real when you're in the presence of a, of an athlete. I mean, I remember being at Trinity Forest in Dallas. Tony Romo was teeing off with Jordan Spieth. We were making the turn and they were teeing off on one. And there was a point on the back nine where the there's the hole off on the front and the one on the back, they meet up. And so when you're on the green, you can see the, that par three on the back nine. Well, I jokingly told one of my buddies, I'm like, hey, Tony Romo, he's watching you. Tony didn't even care. He wasn't <laughs> he even. It's sure enough. He just absolutely fans the shit out of it, and was so pissed. And you know, Romo and Spieth then walk over like off the green, and they were on like golf bikes or something like that. It was something crazy or scooters. Anyway, but it just again it highlights the fact that that regular golfers are just even worse if you're if you're in the presence of of an athlete. You're done. Just forget about it. You're not going to hit a great shot. Nope. Not going to totally agree. Anyway. That's funny. All right. Well, there's my there's my scarred for life story. But we do have some gear news. One of the stories I want to kick things off with is, you know, so Nike's been out of the club business since 2016. But the oven, their R&D facility in Fort Worth is, is still – used by a lot of the former Nike engineers that worked there before. So Mike Taylor and crew have had purchased or acquired that space and they now build wedges and putters for Artisan out of that facility. We've had Patrick Reed use Artisan wedges. Scotty Scheffler's had Artisan before. There are, there are a bunch of guys. Bryson uses Artisan wedges it's it's a it's a who's who of of big names on tour that are using this wedges and they're not getting paid to do it. I mean Mike Mike T and the crew are not paying people to use these wedges because they're making so much money off the fittings. You can go to to the facility in Fort Worth and get fit by Mike and crew, but again as I've mentioned before their waiting list is just crazy long. Well, we've seen some irons out on tour, and more more recently, as you go back a couple of pods, we talked about Charles Schwartzel had some artisan blades in the bag, and it's just got me wondering. You know, we're seeing some artisan irons. If you go to the artisan website, you're not going to find anything, and lo and behold, we get some more confirmation that maybe, just maybe, artisan is coming out with irons. Rocco Mediate posted some stuff on social media this week. He is out at the old oven facility that Artisan now uses, and he's doing some iron testing. And I don't know if you guys saw the the Twitter link that I dropped. I post some photos on my social feed at Jonathan R. Wall on Twitter. 
what do you guys think of these irons? Have you taken have you taken a peek at the link to see? I mean, they they give me some I'm gonna say some like Nike Vapor Pro vibes. Somebody was saying some JPX. It's anyway, the irons look really good and I started poking around and received confirmation that maybe just maybe regular golfers are gonna get a chance to purchase some artisan irons in the future. Maybe just maybe. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of those kind of boutique specialty brands that you don't really know they're out there unless you're looking for them. I mean, there's not a lot of advertising. There's not a lot of big buzz when it comes to the the marketing dollars that these guys are spending. But in the uh, in the player ranks, they are they're very well renowned, very regarded as good quality product. And having an opportunity to do some testing with some of the wedges previously. I mean, they're legit. They make some really, really good stuff. I'm curious to see what they do come up with for irons if they take them to the uh, the retail market. Yeah. These, well, these have know, a very interesting look to them with sort of this like recessed cavity with a channel kind of going through the middle, but there's a lot of additional weight around the perimeter. And look, Rocco's an incredible ball striker, but... If I'm looking at this iron, it makes me think it's not a blade. This might be something that uh, even a maybe seven or an eight handicap might be able to use, which gets me excited. Well, well that's that's the interesting question is, you know, one of the challenges when you have kind of a, you know, we'll call it an elite brand or a boutique brand is uh, how do you grow out of that or not grow out of that, uh, expand from that and you know one of the classic examples in that is mizuno you know mizuno is a player's blade company but in being so they kind of have golden handcuffs on them in that everything that you know nobody buys mizuno if they're an 18 handicap even though they offer an iron for that that's just not what they're known for and so it'll be real interesting to see um you know to your, to your guys' point, is it is it something for you know a low you know a mid single digit handicapper, or does it have some of the performance characteristics that can provide more forgiveness, maybe a little bit more draw bias, um, uh, you know, for a ten to twenty handicapper? And it it always gets tricky because golfers are really interesting in that you know when you get out of your lane, you've really got to get a legitimate reason why you're out of your lane. A lot of golfers will reject, you know, kind of uh, different category uh, offerings from a company that is known specifically for, you know, one type of um, equipment. That's a really good point, Gene. We see that. Uh, I mean, just the, the client bias when we're in the fitting studio, and they come in with a preconceived notion that they should be in products you know, A, B, C because they're not good enough. They're too good. They don't like the look of it. Their buddies, buddies, caddies, friend told them that this iron would be great for them. They have to hit this category. I mean, to your point, the the golden handcuffs on the uh, on the boutique type brands that appeal to a specific demographic. I mean, we see it a lot with other kind of player oriented brands like i mean mira for example mira makes arguably some of the best forgings in the world and we may put a mirror and iron into a 
lower mid handicap range and they look at it and they're like, Oh yeah, I can't, I'm not good enough to hit a, a mirror iron. And it's, uh, it's surprising how some of these products perform for the different handicap brackets just by saying here, you know, let's try it before you have a preconceived notion of it's not going to work. And a lot of times I'll put stuff together, shafts and heads included and give it to the player and just say, don't look at it. Don't look at what it is. Just swing it and give me first impressions and honest feedback. And a lot of times it's surprising what they actually end up in if they kind of drink the Kool-Aid and just let the fitting do what it is it's supposed to do. It's so funny that you say that, Chris, because, you know, in my world, you know, nobody talks back to me. You know, it's just I put them in, I see the performance characteristics, and that's it. And for years, I was shocked uh, you know, I'd get into the, especially before clubs were, you know, uh, brought to market and I saw the marketing package, you know, I would test various irons and they would all have similar performance characteristics, you know, this, that, and the other. And then I would look at the marketing and I'd go, oh, wow, that's wild. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, 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 but, you know, to your point, preconceived notions are so strong in the golf industry, especially among. Absolutely you know, players. And unfortunately, I think a lot of players probably, uh, you know, by having them miss, miss out on some, you know, unique pieces of equipment. And I'm going to pull my Coachella reference in here. If I just went and saw the headliners, I would have missed everything, but it was some of the smaller bands on the side. They really kept me going. So and the yeah. the marching band with house music. I mean the the German doing, marching band and they were wearing their uniforms to boot. So just gotta throw that in too. I mean, is that is that a cassette you would go buy, Gene? Uh it was actually an eight track that I, I think I would say, pick up. <laughs> Keep it going. Keep it going. No, but you it that does bring up a really interesting thought. What if you did a case study where you didn't show golfers the club. You just had them set it down. And the only thing that they're able to to look at is how does that club look at at a dress? Because that's the only thing that really matters in the end. Yeah. I mean, maybe you don't like the badging or, or something in the cavity, but you probably aren't looking at it when you have it set up in the address position. A lot of manufacturers now do a really good job of concealing any sort of vibration dampening badges or, or any graphics in that cavity. So all you're seeing is the top line, maybe a little bit on that back flange on the, on the sole, but there's, there's not a lot there. It, it's just clean. So it, I do know, wonder it, what would happen if you would, did that. It would be a nice academic exercise, but at the end of the day, you know, golf equipment doesn't come to you pre you know pre-set up so you just grab the handle and swing it comes to you in a package you you know and uh there's a presentation the marketing to it, sure you sure. know I'll, I'll tell you a story um uh tailor-made came out with their first adjustable weighted driver and i had tested and this is many years ago and i had tested an adjustable weighted driver I don't know, maybe seven to 10 years earlier, very similar in its configuration, et cetera. And uh, when I saw it, I thought, oh my God, innovation is dead in the golf industry, right? You know, this is a repeat of something that I saw that didn't succeed in the marketplace. 
And I'm looking at this in my weird little bubble, standing on my test range. TaylorMade engineers came out and they wanted me to, you know, run it. So we did this uh, press event, launched the product. Uh, Hale Irwin was hitting on one side. The robot was hitting on the other. We were adjusting the weight, showing the uh, the differences. And after after we were done with our presentation, I walked down and there were these giant video monitors showing vertical gear effect in all of the different direction stuff and the whole marketing message. And I'm watching this and I was sold. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And you can't look at anything in a bubble. It's, it's, it's the marketing message and it's also the company. Some people are tailor-made people. Some people are Callaway people. Some people are Titleist people. And I think that's what, to be honest, I think that's what makes the game really cool is some people just like the vibe of this, you know, company and what they make and what their design philosophy is. And, and, you know, I, I, I think the subjective aspect is, uh, is good because, you know, it, without it, we'd have much more uniformity. hundred percent. And the, the other end of the spectrum to that gene is, and I've seen more times than I can count, if the results are consistent, a player's visual perception will acclimate to that particular setup of club or set configuration. If all of a sudden they get confirmation by consistent results and seeing the launch window, you know, hearing that solid contact from, let's just say, a game improvement iron compared to this players oriented iron that they were playing and now all of a sudden the extra offset the thicker top line the larger footprint is essentially something that they acclimate to because there's confidence there they know they don't have to dime it and then the the visual component of it isn't as necessarily as important as it was when they first looked at it went oh first impressions of this i don't like it but they get that confirmation of consistency and ease of use and just producing results that they want to see. And now, now all of a sudden, we're good. I, I was working with a tour player. Uh, it's been several years ago now. It was a ping staffer and very well-known ball striker. Ended up putting him into the most game improvement head that ping had on the market at that particular time. And we were doing it as a joke and because the, the club had just come out. And he starts hitting it. And he turns around and he goes, I can't miss this thing. And I'm going, well, that's kind of the point. And he goes, no, like, seriously, like I try and hit it off the toe and hook it. And I try and you know, hang the face open and it just goes high and straight because I, I actually want to get a set of these. And I just kind of chuckled and laughed it off. And he's like, no, Chris, I'm dead serious. Like, let's work with this head, find the best shaft. I want to put a set of these in play. And he ended up playing them for a, a, several events. It was just kind of one of those things like, huh, like here it is, an elite tour player, somebody that's won multiple times and had success on the PGA Tour, now is hitting this iron as a joke, turns around and goes, I can't miss this thing, and ends up building a set and putting it in play. You know, that's really funny because you just, you, you reaffirm what I've always believed is that, you know, players' blades for the most part it's more of a macho thing than it is anything else because, you know, I often said 
if you're going to miss hit on the toe, do you want to be on the right edge of the green or do you want to be eight yards back in the bunker? And that's the difference between not even a game improvement, but, you know, uh, kind of a blended set or, you know, some of the, and some of these clubs now, you know, they have the thin top line that looks exactly like a blade that, you know, a lot of the weighting is internal, but it's providing, you know, overall perimeter weighting much greater than, than a blade. So it has the same aesthetic look. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's this like badge of honor. Once you reach this certain, you know, level of skill, you start going to blades and you start, you know, cause you know, now you've got to hit it in a dime every single time. And these guys, I, I, I hate to say it, but I think there's a little bit of a sheep following there that if they looked at it objectively and you said, okay, you do miss when you miss, what are you willing to give up? And, you know, you put it in those terms. Um, I, I think most of them would probably opt to, to something that's a little bit more forgiving than what they're playing right now. hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I think Jeannie nailed it, which is tour pros. They see what other guys are playing and they more often than not will gravitate towards what's hot. And if it's, if it's a blade, maybe, maybe they're somebody who could benefit from a little bit of additional forgiveness, but they still see it and they just, they got to try the blade. It, it's so funny. Tour, tour pros are just like regular golfers. I, I mean, I've told, I've told the story before about being on the range and just listening to guys talk about equipment. I mean, for years, Brant Snedeker and Matt Kuchar, you could find one of them with a new piece of gear and then maybe a week or two later the next one would have the same club and that's just the way they operate they they want to know what's hot and they might stay in a set of blades or try a set of blades simply because the guy's having success with them so yeah golfers are this the regular golfers are the exact same way they're just going to want to they see the tour pros and they want to try try that club and more often than not they're probably better off with a game improvement or i mean even nowadays like like even the super game improvement clubs don't really look like the old super game improvement. They look a lot I mean, they've manufacturers have found a way to thin those out and not make it look like a shovel. So anyway, that's a lot. We went from talking about artisan to game improvement irons, something that I don't think you'll ever see artisan come out with. But I think, I think a, a small cavity back iron, something like this one that Rocco's hitting, I think that could definitely be in the cards, maybe a set of blades, but I don't, I mean, artisan, as, as we were talking about, they've, they've made their money on wedges and putters. I don't think they're going to go crazy with irons. My guess would be maybe you, you add a couple of models and see what happens. But I think the interest in them is just going to be astronomical, just like the wedges and the putters. I think they're going to have no problem selling sets and they're probably going to be back ordered. So anyway, with that, I want to let you know that this week's episode of Fully Equipped is brought to you by our good friends at Rockform and their G-Rock wireless golf speaker. Now, I got to I gotta inquire. You know, I, I'm kind of done with this bit, but Coach did say that he had a speaker for Gene. I, Gene's not, Gene did not mention anything about a speaker. Hey, hey, so. hey I'm not, I'm not going to complain because my ears are still ringing after three days of Coachella. <laughs> yeah, so I, I didn't he doesn't need a speaker. Weekend. So I'm I'm good till next week. Then I'll start pitching again. But uh, yep, there we let's, go. Just, let's just let's just let's just say I haven't seen anything in the mail. But yeah. you know, 
yeah, Co- coach wanna, is not coming through. If you want to tell me I you love me, you know, feel free. I don't, I don't, I don't think coach is going to come through. Anyway, the G Rock, <laughs> as you all know, crazy powerful magnet that allows you to connect it to pretty much anything. I actually took mine out. My daughter was practicing basketball and she wanted some music, and I was able to just throw it up against the the, I mean, the post, and it just. I mean, you, I mean, you hear it. It's like a clang noise, and she was trying to pull it off. I told her, I said, the magnet's crazy powerful, and she couldn't even get it off. So it's not going anywhere. You can strap it to your cart. You're good to go. It's got an amazing two 8-watt speakers that are attached to it. It's waterproof. It's drop-resistant. 24 hours of battery life is probably the biggest highlight for me on this because you don't have to charge it up. It's going to go for five rounds of golf without a charge. So that's always nice to not have to worry about doing it round after round. It is my go-to speaker now. I, you know, I was a little bit skeptical at first because again, they're a sponsor and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to try it out. But it, it really is. The Rockform G-Rock is now my go-to speaker when I'm on the golf course, when I'm outside shooting hoops with my daughter. It is Truly an awesome speaker. If you want to check it out, go to rockform.com to get 20% off. Use promo code FE20. Again, rockform.com. Promo code FE20. And again, thanks to Rockform for sponsoring the pod. All right. Let's get into the latest RoboTest. You know, last week we talked about, we did an angle of attack test with a 10 and a half degree driver at 92 miles an hour. And we found, as we've discussed in the past, that a positive angle of attack, meaning an upward and ascending blow instead of a descending blow, is going to give you more distance. So for part two of this test, Gene ran the test with another loft because not everybody needs a 10 and a half degree. What about it for those who use a nine degree? Which one's going to be better? Gene, what did we find? Nine versus 10 and a half, who you got? Well, you know, this is this is really interesting and it uh it it kind of addresses uh you know, a fitting question and an equipment question as well. It, and I'd like to hear Chris's take on this. Um, you know, when when you when someone comes in to get fit for a piece of equipment, you know, kind of one of the things that I think should be asked is you know, are you in the middle of a lesson plan? Where are you? Are you, you know, are you just playing golf and you want a shiny new toy or, you know, what's kind of your state? And the reason that I bring this up is this test kind of sums it up. So one of the things that we talked about um, in some of these pieces is the ability to uh, gain distance by swinging up on the ball versus down on the ball. And that's great. But when you make a swing change like that, it is probably a good idea to look at making an equipment change as well. And this is a classic example. So we took a 10-5 that we did previously. And what we proved on the 10-5 is that if you went from negative four, which is, to be honest, a pretty bad over-the-top hack, to positive four, which is, you know, kind of in the Bryson range. So, you know, those are the extremes. But at... uh, 90 miles an hour or 92 miles an hour, we gained 22 yards of distance. So we had 22 yards of distance. 17 yards was kind of the realistic range when you went from negative two to positive two. But here was the interesting part. What we found was that uh, when she took the nine degree in, 
at the same speed. The nine degree actually had seven degrees uh, more distance. And this is at the neutral attack angle due to the fact that it had lower spin. If you went back negative two degrees, the 10.5 was actually two degrees longer because of the loft angle, because you're hitting down on the ball and it's got a little bit more loft angle. And then if you go back all the way to negative four, the 10.5 was nine yards longer. So the bottom line is the further you're hitting down on the ball and the more you're de-lofting, the more loft you need to get distance. Now, taking the opposite into effect, when you go plus two attack angle, which we had, the nine degree was 14 yards longer due compared to the 10.5. Now that is massive. So now let's say you've gone from negative two to positive two, and you've had this game with your 10.5 lofted driver, you've got even more distance potential to gain if you go to a stronger loft. Now there might be another kind of simple, quick hack for anybody that's had a driver in the last four or five years, and you can experiment with this. Most of these adjustable drivers, you can increase or decrease the loft angle. So if you are at a 10 or 10.5, and now you're swinging up on the ball, try turning that loft angle down to a nine and seeing what happens. And once again, what we're looking for is that parabolic flight where the beginning of the flight and the peak look like the descent of the flight and the end. And if you get that, as opposed to this kind of flaring motion, which you'll most likely see with the 10.5, and you can see it visually, you have a tendency of gaining up to 14 more yards distance. And if you don't have an adjustable driver and you have made this swing change, it's probably time to start looking at an eight or a nine degree lofted driver to maximize distance. There you go. Yep, that's so, it. Uh, yeah, I was to say that that's it. I think Gene Gene nailed it. It's it was a fun test because again, it's easy to just say, well, what happens if you're changing that angle of attack? But you know, more often than not, people always say, well, I don't use a ten five driver. I use a nine. And and what happens there? And so there you go. I mean, if you're using a ten five, maybe as your game starts to improve. Maybe you go down to that nine. I mean, if you look at a lot of the drivers on tour, and this is what I always find interesting, there are a lot of guys that I would consider to be players that wouldn't be in a, a nine, that should be in a nine-degree head that aren't. I mean, Dustin Johnson plays a 10-5. And I I always, that that's the one to me that just always surprises me. DJ plays. Well, he he, he plays he plays a little bit of a cut too, though, right? Yeah, so, you're right. He does. I was know, say, he plays a little bit of a cut, but it just and I know so, he'll he'll so, turn the loft down on that. So I don't know what his attack angle is in regard to that, but I mean it. You know, it kind of jives a little bit. So, and yeah, it, you also, know, it, it, go ahead. You can take into account the the fitting component of it. And if you have a, a low spinning head, like a Stealth Plus, having the extra loft and producing the club head speeds that DJ produces, maybe he's trying to take advantage of a little bit more spin so that he maintains a little bit more control over the ball. So he can work the ball and flight the ball and control the shot yep. shape a little bit easier with a little more spin on the ball compared to what he would see at a nine or an eight degree lofted head. Does he have the speed to do it? Oh, absolutely. 
but maybe just going with a little higher static loft gives him an opportunity to produce a little more spin for a little more control and shot shaping ability. There you go. Totally agree. All right. Mailbag time. So we got Paul Yamain who asks, he got fit for a Titles TSI2 driver recently with a Mitsubishi Tensei AV Raw Blue 65X that was tapped or sorry, tipped one to two inches. So we're going to say in this case, one and a half inches. The Vitter said that because um, of the tipping on it, it was the same thing as a 65TX. He wrote 65TX into the final fit, but sounds like it might not be 100% the same. Paul's trying to decide whether to buy a 65TX or an uncut 65X so someone can tip it one and a half inches. He said he would rather buy the 65TX, but he uh, but he won't if it won't be the right shaft for the driver. Chris, what are your thoughts on this? So, I mean, it always begs the question, what did you test? So, and what was the recommendation for the tipping? What were you seeing that was kind of the final conclusion? I think you should tip it. So generally speaking, if the feel of the shaft was good through impact and the results of what you were seeing when it comes to dispersion and ball flight, launch characteristics, so on and so forth, are in that window of what you want to see, what was the recommendation for tipping? Now, general rule of thumb is that every inch that you tip a shaft will basically bump it a, a flex on how stiff that shaft is going to play. More often than not, the reason for tipping is going to be to stabilize the head, reduce torque, and increase torsional stiffness, essentially stabilizing the head more through impact. Does it influence feel? Yes. Will it change launch and spin? Not necessarily. So if you're looking for an overall stiffer profile, you can go TX straight in. If you are looking to simply stabilize the head a little bit more, you can go X and tip it. So it's also important to, to kind of take a look at what the manufacturer suggests as far as tipping instructions. There's some of the shaft manufacturers out there that will say, eh, you don't necessarily need to tip a shaft. So you can go straight in, you can go up to a TX and achieve essentially what it is that you're trying to get out of a stiffer profile. So there's a couple different things to consider, but tipping generally is torsional stiffness and to reduce torque or the instability of the head coming through impact. When you're working with golfers, how many of them, what percentage would you say, do you add tipping to the build sheet after a fitting? Uh, I'd say very, very few, to be honest with you. I, I, I try and stick to what it is that we tested more often than not. If I don't have an opportunity to test it, then I generally will shy away from making a recommendation for something that we didn't test. Now, now my tour players and my faster swingers and the guys that are a little bit more in the elite category when it comes to ball striking and speed, those guys, I do have a, a special set of shafts that I will use for their fitting. Uh, that's already tipped anywhere from a half inch to an inch and a half, and also in some heavier X and TX types of bend profiles. So for those players, I do have a, a set of shafts that I will actually test that variable. So, but for the majority of people coming in, 
if there's not a definitive reason to to tip a shaft and they don't have the ability to test it, I'll uh, I'll very rarely make that recommendation. That's that's actually a really interesting question slash point, Chris. What skill level would you say? Because you know, I would make the argument kind of like what you were saying for ninety nine point five percent of golfers the sheer amount of options out there that you're bound to find one that can, you know, provide you with the launch and spin characteristics and the uh, consistency slash dispersion characteristics that shaft offers. Um, what skill level would you say where it, you know, because tipping is now fine tuning a, you know, as you said, kind of a, a profile is that a is that a two is that a zero is that a plus two like where would you you know and i know that's kind of a general question but you know where do you look at it and go okay yeah you could benefit from tipping because your sensitivity you know you're playing a stradivarius where the rest of us are playing something that we got at kmart you know in 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 comparison so you know your your feel of this is so much higher so you know where would you say that that point is? I mean, skill level definitely comes into play. So the majority of the the dynamic changes that we're going to make are going to be based upon making a head change. So whether that be construction of a head, whether that be uh, internal weighting component or movable weight, or you know, even something like we were talking about earlier when it comes to static loft. So those changes are going to be more of the the big influencers when it comes to just start line and control and launch and spin ball speed. So different heads will perform differently based upon angles that the player naturally creates and also strike location. So when it comes to now fine tuning with shaft shaft is that fine tuning instrument that allows the player to find the center more often than not also gives the best relationship of where that golf club is through the swing so that they have an opportunity to square the face more often than not. Now, when we go to tipping a shaft or making adjustments to what it is that we're testing, it's it's really, really minute changes. We're looking to just fine tune. So, for example, if I make a recommendation, hey, we need to uh, put four grams of hot melt out towards the toe. Now, to kind of counteract the amount of droop that we're going to see in that shaft from changing the internal weighting component, maybe we tip that shaft a half inch just to keep the stability in that head as consistent as what we saw during testing. So there's not necessarily a, a player demographic for handicap, but if I had to put a number on it, I would say it's it's definitely your your single digit type player. I'm not going to make mm-hmm. a recommendation for tipping a shaft for somebody that sprays it all over the face. There's there's not going to be a benefit there. If you're a good ball striker, consistent driver of the golf ball, yeah, okay, now we're talking about maybe moving some hot melt or some tour sauce in there. And uh, and maybe tipping a shaft for some fine tuning adjustments. There we go. Makes sense. I feel, like, I feel like that's way more information than he could have ever ask for. So, Paul, <laughs> Godspeed. Use use well, this info I mean, hey, as hey, you see you fit. Me, hey, it's either that or talk about Coachella some more. So you know, hey, I'll I'll choose. I'll take the latter in in that situation. <laughs> ten out of ten times. Sorry, sorry for the rant there, guys. Hey, it's all good info. Hey, man, I was geeking out on it. So, you know. 
that's it. I can I can go golf nerd from time to time. I do try and keep it somewhat entertaining from time to time. I'll uh I'll go down the rabbit hole with people. I'm good with it. I know you are. All right. So I got a giveaway for this week. Before I get into that, I want to let you know that this week's episode of Fully Equipped is brought to you by Golf Pride and their all-new CPX grip. This grip is designed with an exo-diamond quilted pattern. It's the same pattern that you would find, or very similar, I should say, that you'd find on a BMX bike. It's going to help reduce vibrations in your hands. And, you know, I've talked about senior golfers benefiting from this, but any any golfers, I mean, whether you're you're 60 plus or even in your 30s, golfers are going to benefit from that vibration reduction. You know, as I've talked about, the anytime that you're out playing, you're going to get vibrations coming up. Unless you're playing really, I mean, graphite is really going to be the one that's going to help you reduce vibrations. But if you're a golfer that still likes to play steel, you're going to get vibrations going up into your hands and your arms. And that over time as you play is going to add to your fatigue. So if you're a golfer that likes to play 36, but you still want to stay in steel shafts, the new CPX is probably a pretty good option to try out just due to the fact that it's going to help reduce those vibrations going up into your arms. Maybe it allows you to play 36. Maybe it allows you to get in a range session after you play 18 holes. But anyway, if you want to learn more about Golf Pride's new CPX, go check it out on golfpride.com or at your local retailer. And now we can talk about this giveaway. So Cobra was kind enough to send me two of their king putters. One is the vintage, which is more of your like traditional shapes, a couple of mallets, and they actually have a mallet in the, the two that they sent, the Cuda. And then you've got the 3D printed, which is where you get some truly out of this world designs. And I have one of each. So I've got a vintage mallet and I have a 3D printed mallet as well. And so I'm going to give them away. So if you want to get in on the action, go to my Twitter account at Jonathan R. Wall. I decided to keep it simple this time. No, no Instagram, none of that. We're just going to do Twitter. Got to be following my account and the full equipped at fully equipped or at fully underscore equipped. My apologies for Twitter. And I'm going to pick two winners randomly. All I asked was I wanted you to tell me how many putts you had in your last round. That's it. I've gotten some good answers so far. A couple of guys I think are are definitely bluffing or just trying to just, I mean, they're, they're really trying hard to get this, to get this putter. Some of them said they had like 45 putts in their last. I was going to say if it's, if it's above 45, smells smells yeah this doesn't pass a smell test at that point that's somebody that's 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 a try hard he's really wanting to get a free putter but i get it hey you got to try anything you can i've already gotten a couple of dms from people so anyway again if you want to do that go at jonathan r wall on twitter be following at full store equipped and that's all you got to do and with that i think that does it for episode 138 of fully equipped Uh. I know. As always, if you want that social media goodness, check us out. We are at Full Underscore Equipped on Twitter, as I mentioned, and at Fully Equipped Golf on Instagram. Thanks as always for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>